The readings from Scripture today begin with the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, and I'm reading from the translation of the message. Let us listen for God's word to us this morning. This is what the Lord says, the one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, referring to the Exodus liberation event. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers through the wasteland. Wild animals will thank me because I've provided water in the desert. Drinking water for the people that I chose, the people that I made especially for myself, a people custom made to praise me. And the reading from Matthew is a part of an encounter that Jesus had with some of his critics. He was actually uh, walking along and people were criticizing him for how he was celebrating good news. And he said, no one cuts off a fine silk scarf to patch old work clothes. And you don't put new wine in a cracked old bottle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, open our eyes and our ears today to hear what you would have us to understand and then to go do in Jesus' name. I'm going to begin with a short story and I debated on telling it because it's kind of a heavy story. I usually like to begin with something lighter, maybe funny, um, but uh, this is neither light nor funny. Um, but it's a story that I think is so powerful in its symbolism. Uh, maybe you won't understand how it is connected to the sermon until I get to the end of it, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell it anyway. It, there was... Uh, during uh, the, the post-World War II time, something called the Nuremberg War Crime Trials. Some of you are old enough to have heard about it. Um, and a witness appeared in the trial who had lived for a time in a grave, in a Jewish graveyard in Poland. It was the only hiding place that he and many others could find when they were trying to escape the gas chamber. And during this time, he wrote poetry. And one of the poems that he wrote was a description of a childbirth. Because in a grave nearby, a young woman had given birth to a little boy. And the grave digger, who was also Jewish and, and a very old man, had assisted in the birth. And when he saw this little baby being born, he prayed Great God, hast thou finally sent the Messiah to us? For who else other than the Messiah himself can be born in a grave? For the old grave digger, 
He recognized the dynamic tension between old and new, between death and new life, between growth and sacrifice. On this Sunday, on this eve of new pastoral leadership here at Riverside, at the beginning of a new school year, as a way of welcoming Brian and Sunil, I want to talk to you briefly about things old and new. Now, I'm not looking at any one of you in particular when I say old. I could look in the mirror and do that. But I'm talking about how God brings forth the new. So let us begin by acknowledging that the witness of Scripture seems to prefer the new over the old. The scriptures seem to prefer the new over the old. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days will come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the old one I made with their fathers. And Ezekiel chimed in, he said, I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. Isaiah says, the old things are passing away. I declare a new thing, and I'm calling it now before it's even visible. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. In the New Testament, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And the vision of John includes this. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. And I heard a great voice saying, Behold, the place God lives is with humanity. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Why do these varied writers speak this way? Why do they prefer the new to the old? What's wrong with the old? Why do they believe that God is the God of the new? Why did Jesus require new birth and establish a new covenant in his body why the promise of a new heaven and a new earth? Not a day goes by that we don't receive little messages on our phones and on our computers that tell us we need something new. They're called updates. We get them almost every day. And I'm so glad for that little button that says update all so I can just get rid of them all right? All at once. Our technology is constantly being updated, something new and improved coming along. It's not just our phones and computers. Our cars, car sales are driven by new gadgets, new bells and whistles, upgrades to the way things are made. Our houses, the same way. Even athletic shoes, you know, when you think about the, the, uh, the history of shoes and athletics. Remember 
some of you the old Converse basketball shoes. They were, it was just a little rubber on the bottom and some canvas. And now they've got all this technology built into shoes to help you do different things. And golf clubs, I know that you're all golfers, I'm sure. You know, people are spending millions of dollars on golf clubs because they think the latest technology is going to help them take a couple strokes off their score. So, you know, in, it's almost in, in every facet of life, right? We're marketed, we're told something new and improved is better than that old thing you've got. And your life will be better, simpler, happier if you just get what's new. It's like we assume progress. If it's new, it's got to be better. 5G's got to be better than 4G. And 6 or 7G will be better than 5. But the newness of, wit, of what, of writ, let me try that again. The newness of which Scripture speaks is not based on an assumption that new is automatically better than old, nor that Gen X is going to be better than the baby boomers. It's not the assumption that progress will achieve perfection and that the younger generation will get it right in a way that the older generation didn't. I mean, recall one of the most profound things in Scripture comes from the wisdom of the preacher in Ecclesiastes who says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What has been is what shall be. There is nothing new under the sun. What you call new has already existed in ages past. So, the first thing we can say about real newness, the kind of newness that Jesus brings, is that it seems to come to us when we least expect it, when we have lost all hope of ever finding it. It is not something we can force or schedule or cause. It appears when and where it chooses. It's not the result of longer meditation, better run committee meetings, or a perfectly funded budget. The only condition for the newness that Christ brings is readiness for it. I think about the people that I know in AA and in similar organizations. I'm so impressed by their understanding of change and growth. They understand that until one admits that all is lost, until one admits that one must totally relinquish hope in themselves, and admit the need for a higher power. There is no hope. And so, nothing is more surprising than the rise of the new 
within the self. It comes unexpected, unplanned. So the first thing about the new of God is that we cannot calculate it and measure it and bring it in carefully the way we want. Former things, the former things must be recognized as being old. You know, I'm thinking about new pastoral leadership coming here and other changes in our staff that are happening, changes in our facility, changes in the way we worship things so different, our lifestyle, so uncertain, as Emily said, things can change in a minute. And so I wonder, how ready is Riverside for something new? Are you ready for whatever that could be? The prophet says, remember not the former things, neither even consider the things of old. And that's the second thing that I notice about God's newness. It's, it must break the power of the old reality. And that means forgiveness. The breaking of the power of the old means letting go of grudges and receiving and giving forgiveness. The reality of really new life in God is the ability to break the power of old conflicts between people, between groups, between generations or nations or races or classes to be able to forgive. I can think of no power that is strong enough to forgive in all of those situations that can help me forgive myself and forgive others or allow them to forgive me. No no power other than the grace and the love of God. And so... When Jesus, or when the prophet says, remember not the former things, he's not talking about some easy forgive and forget. He's talking about the serious work of reconciliation that transforms and opens the doorway to something new. And then finally, the prophet says, Actually, it's quoting Yahweh. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I points to the source of the new. And this is the final thing that we need to keep in mind about whatever newness is coming to our lives or to this church or to our nation. That if it is real, and not just some passing fad. It will bear the mark of Christ. We will see the face of Christ in it. Just as Moses came down from that mountain 
having received an, a covenant which for him was a new covenant, and his face shone the, the face of God. Okay, here we go again. Hopefully Michael is already down there. Great. The really new thing that God wants to do with us, I hope will include fixing the alarm system. (laughs) But it is rooted not in what we do, but in the love of God. Christianity lives through the faith that there is not just another new product coming down the line, but something genuinely different. Christ deprived himself of everything that one could call old. Individual and social standing, greatness, experiences, power. He surrendered all of these things, Philippians 2 says. He surrendered even equality with God in order to grasp the love of God. The love of God never ends, Paul says, and love is the power that can create something genuinely new in a person's soul or in a church or even in a nation. Love is the power throughout all of history to remove guilt, to empower forgiveness, to allow us to trust in this one who is doing something new but hidden, doing something maybe misunderstood and not even controlled or invited. It is hidden perhaps in the darkness, but is not completely hidden because the prophet says it is springing forth. There are signs of it. Do you perceive it? I think this is a time of celebration amidst all of the struggle that is going on, and we talked about struggle last week a lot. But this is a time in the midst of uncertainty and struggle to party, to celebrate what God is doing anew. I hope in our lives, in our congregation, with Brian's beginning here, let us find a way to relinquish our fear our need for control and find a way to be ready to forgive and to receive love. Do you not perceive the new thing that God is doing? I I don't know. I don't know if I do. But I know that this is a time when we are invited to look carefully and attentively and faithfully to what the Spirit is doing with us. May God bless you as you begin a new school year, as you transition into a new phase of our pandemic world together. And again, 
may that alarm system, that demonic-possessed alarm system, go away. Amen.